Okay, so we're here to preview July. Hard to believe it's already that point in the summer, in particular because it's been a very mild summer. I so, just got back from a week in Florida, so mild summer is meaningless syllables to me. Oh, but it's been so not outrageously hot and humid overall. It's been, it's been pretty forgiving so far, but, but I feel change. like it's hard for me to manage time passing. Yeah. Anyway. Here we are, thrust into the summer officially. I mean, the first Shakespeare in the park is already closed, so know. Like, you know we're, we're deep summer now. That's crazy. I know. That's crazy. Okay, let's do introductions, David. Hi, this is David Levy. You know me from Maximu. <laughs> and Jack. I'm Jack. You also know me from Maximu. I'm also the literary associate at the Public Theater here in New York. My views, as always... Are my own. Which you can now get on a tote bag. I know. I'm very, uh, again, shout out to Liz Richards for the wonderful merch store on the, the what is it? The Bedazzle? The Zazzle? Zazzle. The Zazzle. Com. Got it. Uh, you can go there and get uh, Views Are My Own mug, which I haven't gotten yet, but I need to because I'm just tickled by that. I find the mugs and the tote bags completely hilarious. Love it. All right, and this is Lindsay, also from Maximu. Okay, we're here to preview what we're excited to see in July. And I guess we should just get started. Oh my goodness, we didn't go over the order in advance. It's just like running wild today. Yes, Chaos. fast and loose. Let's Anything get it. Anything you want. Speaker's choice. David. Uh, let's start with Encores Off Center at City Center, which is, it's funny. So this is the this is the third year of this series. I think so. And yet, so it's weird to say this, but it's already breaking with tradition a little bit this summer in that... Instead of doing three shows where the middle one is a concert production, this year they're doing two shows with a more traditional concert in the middle. Uh, the distinction being that the concert that they're doing is is just songs from lots of different shows instead of one show in concert. Um, this is also Janine Tesori's final year as the curator, artistic director of the series uh, to be replaced by our buddy... Um, Michael, oh my God, Friedman. Friedman, <laughs> it's like Jewish last name, Jewish last name. Levine, Levine, no, no, fuck, <laughs> guys. I was on a really late night flight back from Florida last night, so bear with me. <laughs> um, Michael Friedman. Anyway, so uh, first up, we've got Runaways, which was a groundbreaking show that started at the Public in 1978 by Elizabeth Suedos, uh, who I want to say was nominated for more Tony Awards for one person in a single season uh, for this show than anyone else in history. She was nominated in four different categories for the book, for the score, for the choreography, and for the direction, um, which is pretty incredible. Uh, this is a show that was developed through Liz's interviews with actual runaways. Um, when she first set out to do it, uh, she wanted to look at not just people who ran away from home, but also people running away from past mistakes from bad relationships all those sorts of things and it focuses on youth and the original production uh, many of those people who were interviewed ended up being in the show uh it's sort of like the homeless youth version of a chorus line in that way uh, and a lot of parallels um for this production they also cast a very wide net in casting um so there are a lot of people where this is their uh professional performing debut although there are a couple of familiar um like broadway kids type in the mix, although they are definitely the minority. The only one who, who really jumped out at me is someone who I know I've seen is Sophie Ann Caruso, who was in Lazarus last year. Um, it's going to be directed by Sam Pinkleton, who was, uh, I was going to say, who's one of Liz Suedos' students, but the amazing thing about Liz is that uh, pretty much that entire generation of theater artists that came after her considers themselves her students. She taught at NYU. She also uh, 
personally mentored a lot of people, including Michael Friedman, and music direction is by a friend of the podcast, Chris Fenwick. Uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. This is a show that um, doesn't get done very often. It's very much of its moment. It's uh, unclear how it's going to play for 2016. Um, and, you know, if you're not familiar with Suedos's music, she was very, very avant-garde. Yeah, she was like... Um, most closely associated with La Mama and really comes from that independent um, theater aesthetic and movement. Um, even though she was on Broadway a number of times, uh, very little of her music is sort of what you think of when you think of like Broadway show tunes. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to this. The uh, The other show they're doing this season is God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, which is based on the Kurt Vonnegut novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was most notable because it was the first collaboration between Ashman and Mencken before they wrote Little Shop of Horrors and then w- went off to Disney to win hundreds of Oscars. Right. Uh, and that's later in the summer. Great, yeah. Um, yeah, I was telling Lindsay before we started recording that um, knowing that we were probably going to discuss Runaways, I kind of wanted to to beg the indulgence of our listeners because this is a show that I agree with everything you said. It's it's this is a rare opportunity to see a show that was truly groundbreaking and that absolutely in you know at least in the cynical commercial minds had no business on Broadway when it was on Broadway. I mean this was running on Broadway at the same time as another story about sort of wayward youths. Annie was on at the <laughs> same time. And it's just I'm fucked up to think about those two musicals existing in the same, you know, within the same zip code. Um, for me, I, I uh, before I was the you know five foot three inch towering uh, you know sort of mass of, of of opinions being my own and all these things. I was an actor when I was a kid in, in DC, and the first uh, community production I ever did was a production of Runaways when oh, I was wow. about eleven years old. And I was thinking a lot about this this morning just because I was on my way and it's uh, as we're recording it's Pride Day here. The parade is is, is happening uh, around us, and there was something about that experience that that kind of almost moving me to tears a little bit on the train over here because when I was a kid and there was a it was the that was a musical Runaways was a musical that was unlike anything we had ever seen all of us had been doing you know shows at our schools that were written for you know adults and they were by by birdies and guys and dolls and you know stuff like that this was a musical that was populated by uh, a lot of young actors of color um, and older actors of color. It was a uh, a cast that I was in that had um, many uh, gay and lesbian and questioning youths um, populating the cast, which this uh, show celebrates and honors um, and expresses love for. And it was a it was an experience that when I go see this in encores, I'm going to cry my eyes out mm. because it that was it will bring back to me a memory of a time when a show could. And I know in a couple of instances, at least with this small band that we had in D.C., it saved a couple of lives because it acknowledged their worth and their existence. Not by saying that, don't worry, everything is going to get better, but saying at the very least, we hear you. And that is something that doesn't get a lot done a lot in commercial theater, and it's something that um, I miss, and it is still a, a high uh, and a level of community that I think everything I do in theater from now until the end of time is going to be chasing a little bit. So so if you see me crying at City Center uh, in the, the early days of July, uh, just know that that's why. This show means more to me than anything else, and of course, working at the public and, and 
going. Liz was there, and she, she of course, passed away a few months ago, and I never got to thank her for that experience as a kid, but um, it was... Um, anyway, I just wanted to thank you for that. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Should we move on to the next one? <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's do it. Sorry. Um, I, uh, okay, so uh, my, the, the, my game here uh, uh, this week is to talk about my favorite thing about the summer, which is that there are new play and musical festivals happening, not just all over New York, but all over the greater, you know, American landscape. Um, so obviously, but many within driving distance of the city. Many within driving distance <laughs> or train distance. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a few here in the city. Uh, I was going to talk about Williamstown today, but I actually don't think I'm going to. I mean, you, if you, it's, fuck I, Williamstown. <laughs> no, if, <laughs> if only because for the purposes of the. I mean, they're they're doing some great stuff. Look, I'm very excited for a couple of the shows if they're you doing. Have the resources and the interest, you're already in the know. Exactly. You know, you you know what's up. It's it's a bit difficult. You know, for those of us, uh, the majority of us in New York who are not of the driving class um, it, it can be a difficult thing to get to um, however there's a couple things that I'll talk about later in the podcast that are within Metro North distance that are way more affordable and also exciting um, displays of new work but the first thing I'm going to talk about is something that's happening uh, right here at uh, 59, East 59th um, and that is the uh, return of the annual Summer Shorts Festival and this is uh, a a festival of short plays, new plays, usually about 10 to 20 minutes, and they've broken them up into two sets of three. So, and they'll be sort of running in rep uh, throughout uh, the month of July. And it's a, I have attended this in the, in the past couple years, and it's always a really exciting mix of, of theater. Uh, for those of you who are not uh, used to going to see short plays, it is its own kind of uh, aesthetic, and it's its own kind of value system, I feel like. It's, it's, it's a, and it's a very different experience on the brain. So 59 to 59th is, is an exciting example of this because I really love the diversity of the types of plays that they program to sort of like rub up against each other in a single evening. So like for example, uh, they're, they're, the two series are Series A and Series B, and you can find this all on the 59th, each 59th website. Um, but they have new plays by Kusi Cram, who's a playwright that I adore, rubbing up against a, new pl a short play by Neil DeBute. Um, rubbing up uh, against a new play by uh, A. Ray Pamatmat, who we know and love on this podcast um, as a, uh, a co-curator of the Mai Yi Directors uh, Writers Lab. That's actually a really interesting trio. Isn't that something? I wonder if Neil Abute was like, knows that he's in that it's, mix. But it's, it's really exciting. So you're not seeing, you know, like three plays that are all going to talk about one theme. You're seeing three very different things in the past years. There's like, and I'm talking about really deep aesthetic differences. Like you have really trenchant dramas rubbing up against hilarious comedies, rubbing up against thrillers in some cases, rubbing up against solo performance. Um, so that's that. And series B is... Well, the um, thing about that is there are people who contribute to this podcast and listeners of this podcast who you could not get to a Neil Butte play yeah. for all the money in the world. And yet I think they'd be extremely interested yeah. in the plays by those other two individuals. And I'd be very curious to know what the mathematical equation is for somebody with that mindset, considering whether to go to that trio or not. Liz, let us know if you're going. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, and just to say, Series B uh, is new work by uh, Richard Alfredo, by Alexander uh, Denilaris, and one of my favorite um, playwrights, Idris Goodwin. Um, with And there's wonderful directors that are doing all of these, um, from people that we know and love, like Ed Iskandar, um, from uh, people, uh, Jesse Hill is a young director that I love, and um, and Logan Vaughn is another director I adore. So yeah, I mean you can and these are um, when you go see these, these are like usually less than ninety minutes the whole evening. So it's a 
pretty, you know, in and out kind of thing. It's always a diverse collection of work. So if you don't have the the time or the money to go up to the Berkshires or or any other place, this is a really great way to get some some good summer festival action in a in a pretty short and affordable um, uh, package. And it's the East Side, so you still get that experience of like going out of town. <laughs> hey, go to the park afterwards. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's lovely. Oh my god. Uh, okay. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is Men on Boats. Yes. And addition to the Playwrights Horizons season, um, this play was part of the Club Thumb series last year. Um, Deep talked about Club Thumb at the end of our last episode, and she also has a great article in the New York Times about this season of Club Thumb, um, which is a development collective and every year they do a series in the summer of three new plays and this was one from last year that got very strong reviews was a new york times critics pick now club thumb uh was recently announced as the first uh playwright residency company at playwrights horizons and so this production is a product of that relationship and it is in addition to their normal season it was not announced at the beginning of the year it is by Jacqueline Backhouse and directed by Will Davis. And it is a play with a cast of 10 women who play 10 men uh, back in the 1800s, mid-1800s, and they are exploring the Grand Canyon area. The, so they're on boats and they are... I was going to say sailing, but I don't think that's actually the right term. But anyway, they're moving down, let's say, uh, the river to the area that uh, their two-four unexplored area of the Grand Canyon. And as you might imagine, it is a sort of challenging and at times dangerous and difficult journey. Um, I'm just very curious, knowing how well-received this was in the first instance, to see how they have... Um, brought it to life at Playwrights Horizons, who always does excellent production. It is the same team uh, of creatives, the director and obviously the playwright's the same, but the director is also the same. And uh, many of the cast, although not all of the cast, are returning. So that's July 20th through August 14th, opens August 1st, and tickets start at about $50. Yeah. I uh, I'm delighted for this because I uh, I missed it last summer. Yeah, um, and it was it was one of the things at the end of the year I was just like I can't believe I missed it. So I'm glad I'm getting the chance to see it again. And the other thing I just want to say before we move on is is I want to just underline the name Will Davis for everybody uh, listening who does. Did not- I say his name right? Yeah. The whole time I was worried that I was going to say Will Powers. <laughs> No, it's Look, different. I call Michael Freeman Michael Levine, so whatever. Yeah. So I was like so paranoid that I was going to say the wrong name. Totally different. It's people. pronounced Alex Timbers, and it. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no. I want to say something about Will Davis because uh, Will is a director that he's an absolutely extraordinary director. One of the smartest artists I think I've ever met. And he has a fancy new job. A fancy new job is the uh, incoming artistic director of the American Theater Company in Chicago, which is a, a wonderful uh, place where new work begins, and. Um, he also is currently, uh, I, I'm very excited, one of the trips I want to make this summer is down to the only theater center outside of my native Washington, where he is directing a production of Evita right now, that I think just started performing. Was oh, that the one with uh, Eden Espinoza? I think so? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... No, I think... Um, I don't know. Uh, there are a lot of Evitas happening this yeah. summer. <laughs> but I want to see... How is that possible? Every summer, every summer, because 
um, summer stock love a show that has a recognizable name. They can import one star, quote unquote, from New York and then cast right. otherwise with locals. Yeah. And that that's the one. And 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 every musical theater actress under fifty would gladly travel to go and take a you know tiny salary in order to play that role. Yeah. Um Sorry, yeah. this is total no, sidetrack. No, no, it's totally fine. No, but uh, this is all just to say that I think that um, for those listening to this podcast, for like you know tips on like you know who you know who's next in sort of the American theater, Will Davis is a name you're going to be seeing for a long time. Um, if uh, uh, yeah, it's I, I think um, so. This is a really great opportunity to see uh, to see this this work that got great reviews and to sort of um, you know if you want to be a Will Davis completist, because in a couple of years you're you're going to want to be. We're now both googling. It Vita, looks right? like <laughs> Ava Perone is played by Rachel Zampelli. Right, I'm pretty sure Eden Espinosa is doing it in Tennessee. I just oh, fascinating. Well, there you are. Right. All right, so many recommendations in one for that one. Yep. Okay, do you have something else, David? Yeah, I want to talk about Oslo, which is at Lincoln Center in the Mitzi Newhouse Theater. Um, this is a play about the Oslo Accords that. Uh, were the historic moment in the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict where that found us uh, in 1993 with that famous photograph of um, Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat shaking hands on the White House lawn. Um, this play, which is three hours long with two intermissions, is by J.T. Rogers, who I am not familiar with, but I know he had a previous play at Lincoln Center called Blood and Gifts, which yeah. was about Afghanistan. It was amazing. Um, it's directed by Bartlett Chair, who uh, is not my favorite director, but um, he I've only ever seen him direct musicals and opera, uh, so I'm very curious what he does with the drama. In many ways, this feels like uh, a better fit for his, um, for his strong suit than things that are happy, <laughs> if I may yeah, yeah. <laughs> editorialize a little bit on Bartlett Chair. Uh, anyway... Um, this is uh, it's a based on a true story, but not documentary theater about um, the what role the diplomats, like the Norwegian diplomats, had in bringing about uh, these peace talks, which um, until now have really been thought of as something that Bill Clinton kind of and his team put together. Um, so you know, it's it, it, look, I sort of rolls my eyes when they announce this because it feels like it's. A little bit pandering to their subscriber audience by being like, we're going to do a big play about Israel, theater party ladies. Um, <laughs> but, but it actually sounds really interesting. Um, and, you know, certainly uh, what I've read about JT Rogers, he sounds like the exact right person to be doing this play and to making, you know, he, uh, it, there's a great interview with him on the Lincoln Center Theater website where he talks about how it was important, yes, to tell a story, but also to make sure that was populated with human beings and not just like historical figures and making sure that there was humor in it and making sure that you know there was drama and emotion and, and not just sort of the um and then this happened and then this happened which i know sounds like playwriting 101 but you'd be surprised how often that gets ignored with these sort of historical dramas so uh it's a very tough ticket uh, from what i hear but even before the first preview it was close to sold out um so don't look for discounts but I also wonder if this is the kind of thing that it, if it's reviewed as well as it's sold, if it'll extend, if it'll transfer. They have a big open theater uh, right upstairs in the Vivian Beaumont. Now the K&I is closed. So who knows what will happen with this? Yeah. 
There's a great article in the Times about the couple that the play actually focuses on, mm-hmm. an interview with them that we'll link to on the show page. It's yeah. a really good article. Uh, and it's a huge cast for a play, which is, you know, uh, as much as I might make fun of Lincoln Center, I don't know that this play could be done anywhere else because it needs that sort of um, massive nonprofit institution behind it. Um, some great cast members who I'm mostly blanking on. I know Jefferson Mays. Uh, is one of them. Oh, I don't know if you guys remember any of the others. He could play everybody. He could. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, even though I sort of rolled my eyes at the announcement, I'm actually really looking forward to this play, which I probably won't get to see unless it extends. Yeah. I, just to say, I mean, because I saw Blood and Gifts, you know, years ago when it was at Lincoln Center, and it was a play that I was not looking forward to and ended up loving just because it, it was so. It felt like it was going to be a dry sort of like I was like I was going to read Foreign Policy magazine for three hours, you know. What I mean? and, and but it, so it was not that. You're absolutely right. It, Blood and Gifts was a, a, a play that uh, was it felt so human, but also was did not try to make it like an intimate personal story. It really did embrace just how big and gnarly and complicated, um, you know, the, the situation throughout the years in Afghanistan has been. And I imagine Oslo would be the same way. It, so in other words, it's not trying to like, it's not trying to cut, you know, a massive political event into little bite-sized pieces for you to swallow. Um, it absolutely assumes that you have an above average intelligence and that you can follow this. Um, and so, and which I think is a, actually is a wonderful thing um, just to kind of let us, you know, kind of dive into the complexity of something uh, without having to say, well, it's all just about humans, you guys. No, it's not. It's about cool. something very specific in a time and a place. Um, and I, I just, I really love that about J.T. Rogers. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of that in Oslo. Cool. Cool. All right. Now uh, we're going to go on the train, you guys, because we're going to take the Metro North up to Poughkeepsie, New York, to uh, Vassar College, where uh, New York Stage and Film is having, of course, their annual powerhouse season. Uh, this is a, uh, a festival of uh, new work that happens every summer there. Um, it is, like Williamstown, a uh, sort of a moment where um, there's a lot of readings, there's a lot of workshops, and then there are indeed some full productions of new plays and musicals that is very much uh, on the pulse of what we're going to be seeing uh, over the next several seasons in New York. Um, a lot of uh, plays got their start there. Um, for example, just to pick one example from last year, they did a production of the Debate Society's The Light Years, which is going to be uh, as part of Playwrights Horizons season. Uh, it was also, um, they've been uh, very, very proud of this. It was the first time that anybody got to see the first draft of a little musical called Hamilton um, before we at the Joseph Pat Public Theater got our uh, grubby little hands on it. Okay, fine, but they also did the revival of On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, so like, let's not pretend that yeah. they've got a golden touch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good play. So, so, there's, so before I get into talking about the season of it, what I like like about um, the sort of proximity to New York City about this is that it's uh, you can kind of choose your own adventure here. You can go up just for an evening to see the show you're most excited about. You can go up for a weekend, um, and I would recommend going up uh, for the weekend uh, toward the end of July where there's going to be a reading festival um, of new plays. Uh, or you can go for a week, for God's sakes. Um, Poughkeepsie is in a lovely uh, part of upstate New York, and there's lots of hiking to be done and lots of adorable little beds and breakfasts. What's hiking? And things like that. Exactly. Wait, uh, I actually have a couple of logistical questions. Let's do it. So you get on Metro North to Poughkeepsie, yep. and then when you get off the train, where are you in proximity to these venues? Like a five-minute cab ride. So you have to take a cab? Yeah. Okay, you can't walk. You could. I mean, it, it's really... I mean, I, I did one year. I walked 
to, to Vassar, but I'll enjoy a walk. And the trains run late enough so that you can watch a show and then come Absolutely. back to the city. Yep, I've done that too. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's what I like about it is you can you can kind of do it however you want. You're not prohibited. Um, but there are also, thing. if I'm not mistaken, Poughkeepsie is one of those like kind of larger ha- towns on the Hudson River mm-hmm. where there are actually quite a few like chain hotels. So you could probably find a room pretty. Oh reasonably. yeah, you can uh, on a given weekend in the summertime. You can find me at the Days Inn. Poughkeepsie, New York, <laughs> because I, I will walk from there to see all the lovely plays and musicals. Let's talk about some of those, shall okay, we? Okay, let's do um, We had a, a lovely, uh, those of us in the new play world had a, a, a very exciting week because it was Kilroy's week, for goodness sakes. And uh, we had um, a, 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 that, of course, uh, for those who don't know, is uh, the release of uh, the sort of the voted upon by uh, theater industry people, uh, the uh, favorite plays by uh, female and transgender writers that have not been produced yet as sort of like a shot across the bow of saying like, here are some great unproduced plays that can populate um, uh, your seasons uh, coming up. One of the plays that was that made the finalist list was a play called Transfers by Lucy Thurber, who you may know from the uh, the sort of mass festival of plays that they did of hers a couple years ago, uh, as well as uh, a recent production of one of her plays at the Labyrinth Theater Company. This play Transfers um, that made the Kilroy's list that's going to be directed by Jackson Gay in a full production at Powerhouse. Um, um, is something I'm very excited about. It's um, basically kind of unpacking the increasingly dividing, uh, divisive world of higher education and the ability for it to be truly, uh, you know, an equal playing field um, for uh, people who want to go on and, and get their bachelor's degree. Um, and so uh, she has a very uh, trenchant a- uh, analytic mind, and I'm very excited to see how she unpacks. Um, you know, the, the world of higher education, which is a subject that I don't honestly see a lot on uh, American theater stages, so I'm excited for that. They're also doing a production, a workshop production of a, a brand new musical uh, that is written by, um, in, in part, uh, by Santino Fontana, the uh, musical theater actor that we all, uh, all know and love. I think it's um, more accurate to say rewritten by. Rewritten by, <laughs> adapted uh, from uh, the book, uh, adapted from a book that is... Uh, uh, who, who Leslie Burkus, right? Uh, yeah, Leslie Burkus. Um, and it's uh, it's a it's a classic musical uh, that features a lot of uh, well known songs like "Who Can I Turn To" and "Feeling Good." Uh, it's called "The Roar of the Grease Paint and the Smell of the Crowd," which is one of my favorite titles ever. This is a very interesting show at the moment because there are two competing ad- adaptations of it working their way through the regional theater summer stock development. Uh, process. There was another production at Goodspeed this year of a different version. Wow. Um, yeah. So fascinating yeah. how the forces of the universes like collide to create yeah. these parallel productions. I yeah. just or I think like it's the fascinating. Forces of copyright holders trying to <laughs> yeah. extend their yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that I, too. <laughs> That's a force of the universe. Um, I uh, I wanted to do a quick chat. Just a couple of other things that are happening. Uh, last year's Kilroy List had a play called The Wolves by Sarah Delap, which is coming to the playwrights realm uh, later this year uh, as part of their season. Um, but it's getting its world premiere uh, production at Powerhouse this summer. This is a, a fantastic play that was also uh, the recipient of the inaugural. Relentless Award that Philip Seymour Hoffman funded before he passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about a girls' soccer team and is, is it just a tremendous new play. So if you are itching to see uh, something that everybody in the theater world is talking about before it comes to New York, this is a lovely thing to check out. And then um, we're going to get our... If it involves female soccer players, yeah. I think I would be there. On July 8th, we're getting our first taste of the most durational iteration yet of Taylor Mac's 24-hour... Uh, Who has their ticket? Oh, I can't. I, yeah, I, I'm $400, to man. Um, next year. <laughs> for 24 uh, hours of entertainment. Yeah. Which you won't be awake for all of. I will be. I was an M&A attorney, please. <laughs> <laughs> 
If anyone would like to sponsor my ticket, I'd be happy to go on someone else's dime. If I may, Jack's flow here. if I may, but can we return to this after? If I may, um, the uh, the 24-hour, the full version is happening uh, next year at uh, St. Anne's Warehouse. There's a 12-hour version. This is the by far the the longest um, sort of uh, stab at this that Taylor and the director Nigel Smith are going to have. That's on July 8th at Powerhouse. A 12-hour version starting at noon on July 8th. And is that just half of the? The chapters, or is it one half of every chapter? Unclear, unclear. Mm. I think Taylor uh, Taylor's mind will it will will uh, give us an unexpected result. As <laughs> what, what I'm, I'm pretty sure certain. I, it's half just of the chapters. Having seen a couple of chapters, that it's half the chapters yeah. because these things are so elaborate in terms of costuming and props, and there are different participants in every chapter so i can't um, it would be impossible actually i yeah. think to do half of half the chapters it would have to be full chapters yeah um so yeah that's um yeah that's going to be i mean 12 hours is already a lot, but if you're trying to work your way up to your uh, marathon fighting weight for the 24 hours maybe this is a good thing to check out last thing i'll mention end of july there's a weekend of readings um of new plays um among them are new plays by stephen belber uh dan lefranc um josh radner the uh actor of uh how i met your mother fame is uh, a frequent visitor to poughkeepsie uh, for uh, powerhouse and he's got a new play going up there and perhaps most excitingly to me because i'm a big fan of the jp Shans, a new play by John Patrick Shanley called The Portuguese Kid, which I'm very, very excited for. All right. That's Wait, my... he writes things that aren't Twitter? That's right. <laughs> wow. That's right. Occasionally. Occasionally. Um, so yeah, um, it's, it's a lovely summer. Get your ass up to Poughkeepsie. I'll be there. I have a quick question about Kilroy's before we move on to the next subject. Now that this is the third year of the list, is that mm-hmm. right? That's right. So do we have any statistics about the production rate of shows from the first two lists. I'm sure that that would be pretty easy to find. I'm just very curious. Yeah. Like I would, I, it feels like it's having an impact, but I would love to know yeah. if anyone's documenting that. Uh, I think it's something that, uh, I'm sure has been, um, I, I haven't seen it. My, my, just, my, just like literally just anecdotal from my head. My, my sense is that it, it's, 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 it's pretty impressive. I mean, just my, my vague memories of, uh, last year's list and what was on it. I mean, it, it, at the very least, if, if, if those plays aren't being produced, then those playwrights are getting a lot of traction within the field. Well, for sure, it was interesting reading this year's list. I felt like I recognized more names than I have before, and yep. that's not because, um, not be, just because I've been like more immersed in this world, but I think Certainly. because they're they're getting produced more. Yeah, I think you know, like you know, I think some of the the most well received uh, productions of the past couple seasons have come you know off of that list. Martina Mayok's Ironbound was on that list. The play that was then called Liquidation Play, now known as Dry Powder, was something that we produced huh. coming off of the Kilroy's list. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Obviously, as I mentioned, Sarah Delap's uh, The Wolves was uh, high on that list last year. Is now getting its its world premiere. And I imagine it takes. A couple years for the full effect for the full effect of this, just because of um, like when theaters plan mm-hmm. their seasons and how how far out they yeah. have. But I, I got to tell you, you know, as a, and I'm I'm very very proud to say that uh, for the kill, I was a nominator this year, um, and I was honored by that. But the thing that I really love, just as someone who works in new play development, is that it really is a menu. It, it you know when this thing comes out now. Um, it's very exciting to pour over it and look at what plays I know, what plays I don't know, what writers I know are on it, what plays I don't know are on it. It's it's a it's a wonderful tool and resource. I hope that it continues to uh, sort of uh, exponentially have more of an impact on the field because you're right, uh, new uh, new play development and season planning is a is a bear of a process and it does you know start many years in advance. Mm. So I feel like that it it's a it's a trickling pace, but hopefully it'll it'll 
it'll rise in the coming years. But it also doesn't exist in a vacuum. There, It's part of a larger movement to see more diversity behind the scenes on at the theater in the United States. And when you count in things like the Women's Festival in D.C., that's mm. also going to have an impact on that. And these things are all working together and hopefully having a synergistic effect to create more women playwrights yeah. being seen on stage. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I just want to mention um, one other festival happening in the city every summer, which is the New York Musical Festival. This year is the 13th annual. Hey, hey. First under its new name. It used to be the New York Musical Theater Festival. Now it's just the New York Musical Festival. That was a, a rebranding that happened this year. Oh, I know. You know, it's funny you should say that because I noticed that their logo had changed, but I didn't actually notice the word change. Yeah. So that T is just gone. Totally gone. Which makes sense because people always called it Nymph. And I mean, for me, it sounds a little awkward to call it like the musical festival, except that I, I guess that we do call them musicals. So right. I don't know. Cool for them. Um, <laughs> the festival is several weeks long, starting in mid-July, going through the first week of August. It includes concerts and the musical equivalent of a reading and events and productions. The readings are mostly grouped at the beginning of the festival. In fact, the, wor the first week of the festival is just a developmental reading series and no productions. Um, each show that's having a reading usually gets one or two readings. Mm -hmm. um, concerts are one time only, and then productions get between like four and six. And then often a few shows are selected for encore performances. They add performances towards the end of the festival. So if you're paying attention, you can hear what's getting good buzz throughout the duration of the festival. My experience with this festival is that it takes place usually during like the hottest four weeks of the summer, and it is such a delightful escape midday <laughs> to go to a theater in Midtown, which all of the venues are in Midtown. In the past, they've used, utilized the signature, but they are not doing that this year. The venues are the Pearl, the Duke, and something called the June Havoc on 36th Street. I love the June Havoc. I don't think I've ever been there. It's lovely. It's nice. I mean, maybe I have, and I just didn't realize that's what it was called. Um, but the readings take place in the Playwrights Horizons Rehearsal Theater. They have a dual system for ticketing. You can buy a pass, which gets you priority access to the readings also, or you can buy individual tickets, which are $30, and those are on sale now. So if there's something you're particularly interested in, I would act quickly because you will see on the ticketing page that there are performances that are already sold out. Um, I just think the best way to approach this is to go to their website, read through them, see if there are names you recognize or content that sounds exciting to you. There's a reading that I is right up my alley about the 32BJ union in Los Angeles based on a movie called Bread and Roses. Um, I was like, yes, I must see that. That sounds fantastic. But really for no other purpose than the content is interesting to me. I think their website is very well designed. It's very easy to consume quickly all this information far better than your average theater website. So we'll post a link to it, and you can check it out if that might interest you. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll mention is something that um, is the cheapest of all the things that I've mentioned so far, and because it is free, and that is the third season of um, the Classical Theater of Harlem's uh, Uptown Shakespeare in the Park uh, season. Um, obviously, it's not the only free Shakespeare in the Park game in town. Um, <laughs> it is the newest, and it's remarkable. Um, so Classical Theater of Harlem, which is an incredible, credible um, uh, theater for classic work uh, in New York City, uh, they have, uh, in the past two years, taken over the uh, Richard Rogers Amphitheater, which is located in Harlem in Marcus Garvey Park. And it's a 
gorgeous amphitheater that is sort of overgrown with trees and things like that. And the past two seasons, they uh, produced uh, Romeo and Juliet um, and a, The Tempest last year, uh, completely free. And unlike um, with Shakespeare in the Park, which is a ticketed event, this is just free and open to the public. You can just walk in and out. And, and it's a big theater. I don't know yeah. about your experience there, but when I went, there were like plenty and plenty of seats, so you didn't have to worry about getting there early. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it, the, the productions are usually quite good. And I will also say that it's my favorite uh, summertime uh, uh, audience experience because you have because it's kind of free and walk in and walk out you have uh, you see a lot of people that you don't normally see uh, at theater or at Shakespeare for that matter and it's a lot of families people bring picnics and you know watch this and and there's a lot of kids running around and it, it it's a it's a tremendous atmosphere um so i'm very excited to see uh this year's production of macbeth uh which is uh being is starring the uh artistic director of classical theater of harlem ty jones uh who i think is the, has the distinction of being one of the few artistic directors in the country who is an actor by trade hmm. um which i think is just so damn classical i love it you know <laughs> that's a, that's some elizabethan shit right there um and is it is a wonderful actor he'll be playing the title role um uh, with a bunch of other lovely people you haven't heard of um and uh i would i would highly recommend uh going uh to check this out um usually eight o'clock um they have a sort of an odd scheduling system but um it's it's always a really wonderful event to go to so I know last year liz richards organized a little group of us to go see it together. I am pressuring her to do that again this year. So uh, keep an eye on her blog, fuckyagreatplays.tumblr.com uh, if you would like to join us because uh, I'm sure she will be putting that together again. Yeah, we'll definitely get the word out yeah. if that comes together. That'd be great. Anything else you wanted to add, David? Uh, I just want to talk about the return of The Golden Bride, also known as Der Golden Nechala, which is a Yiddish operetta from the 20s uh, that was revived by uh, the Folkspine Theater uh, earlier this year and got all sorts of great reviews. It was nominated for two Drama Desk Awards, and now it's back for the summer. Uh, it's back for the summer as part of the National Yiddish Theater Festival at the Museum of Jewish Heritage down in the Battery, uh, for running for all of July and August. It's performed in Yiddish with English and Russian supertitles. Um, and, you know, and look, it's 20s operetta, uh, so it is light and frothy and delightful from all accounts. Um, you talk about great places to go on hot days. Like that museum is a very comfortable theater and a, a very well air conditioned building. And it's got a great exhibit too. If you get there early and want to look around. And um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. I, when they first announced this for the first run, I sort of rolled my eyes like who really wants to see a 1920s operetta. And yet it just turns out lots of people. Um, <laughs> and again, like, so uh the, by by virtue of the ecstatic reception alone, I'm excited to check it out this summer. Cool. All mm. right. A very full July. Oh, and I should just add that it has a full orchestra, which uh, was, I think, surprising mm. to me, so it might be surprising to you. And one programming note, we're going to do a comedy-focused episode in July, so if anyone has recommendations about comedy shows we should be checking out, please send them to us via Twitter. That's all. That's all I have. Okay, great. Yeah, we can end there. <laughs> Comedy. Oh wait, are we not doing like what's coming up? Whatever. Or I guess oh, there's a preview so shows we don't need to. Well, usually we don't do that at the end of the preview episodes, but there's uh, no reason we can't. Well, the only thing is I want to plug a show that I'm working on. <laughs> oh, go get it. <laughs> 
You're welcome to do that. Yay, thank you. Um, so this, uh, my buddy George Abood, who was recently seen in Pure Gint at Classic Stage, is doing a new cabaret act at Birdland on the 4th of July at 7 p.m. It's called Change Partners, and it's him and uh, a dozen of his uh, women co-stars from various shows that he's been in doing uh, duets, mostly from Broadway, a few from Hollywood. Uh, a few songs, you know, a bunch that uh, will hopefully be delightful surprises to you uh either because you've never heard them before because you heard them and never expected to hear them again um and it's gonna be a lot of fun he is just a delightful charming performer um and the people who he's gathered to be with him including our folio group friend nika graflin's roni from the ensemblist podcast uh but also michelle ventimiglia who was uh with George in the visit and he might also know from Gotham and uh, Jane Fitch who was in uh, Pure Kid with him and uh, Elizabeth A. Davis who was nominated for Tony for once and who was in Allegro with George a whole bunch of great people um, if you've never been to Birdland it's super fun they've got delicious drinks uh, there's only a $10 uh, minimum uh, when you go and if you buy a bar seat uh, it's $20 for the bar and they give you a free drink instead of having a minimum so like that's the best deal in town so uh, I hope I see you there. And if, if you come, please uh, introduce yourself. Say hi. What day is it on again? The 4th of July at 7 p.m. Oh, wow. And we will, have you, we will have you out in time to see fireworks. Oh, interesting. Fun. Cool. All right. Is that the end? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Good job, team. Yeah, we did it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Max Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have questions or shows to recommend in July, you can find us on Twitter. Max Moo is at M-A-X-A-M-O-O. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. J-A-C-K-I-N-B-R-O-O-K-L-Y-N. David is at It's DeLevy. I-T-S-D-L-E-V-Y. And I'm at Lindsay Behrens. L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-B-A-R-E-N-Z. We'll see you in a few weeks. Folio Group. Theatrical Media.